Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Questions for Corbett, and this week we're going to dip into the mailbag for a question from a listener, S, who writes, Do the powers that should not be live in anarchy? Yes, they create rulers for others, but they live without rulers, and it seems to work very well for them over a very long period of time. Should be called malarkey. All right, thank you for that question, S. Actually, that is not only an apropos question, but a very astute one, and perhaps more so than it might seem at first blush. Uh, because people who haven't put a lot of thought into it don't really, I think, generally consider the ways in which anarchy operates in their lives every single day. Anarchy would be chaos and violence and, and total panic and pandemonium in the streets. No, actually, the vast majority of your life is lived in anarchy, i.e. the free and voluntary association and disassociation with others around you. In the liberal Western democracies of the Western world in the 21st century, or whatever they're calling it this week, uh, we generally live under the assumption and the expectation that most of our life is not circumscribed by the state. The state does not have the right to come in and tell you who to marry or who not to marry, who to befriend or not befriend, what organizations or groups to join or what organizations or groups not to join, what job you should do for the rest of your life. No, these are decisions that you make as a responsible human being living in anarchy. Uh, but, of course, unfortunately, we also have the flip side of that in which there are expectations of certain areas of our life that will be circumscribed by the state. And the, funny, the people wearing the shiny hats and shiny badges and funny hats and uh, infesting the political offices that seek to control various areas of our life. I mean, whatever would we do if the state wasn't here to tell us the, you know, the, the licensing requirements to become a barber or things of that nature. Unfortunately, there is that expectations in a lot of people's minds, but only because they have never really stopped to consider the ramifications of that or of your very obscute question, S, i.e., if there is this special cadre of people who in, in, infest these high offices of the land that that get to dictate the various ways in which they can circumscribe our freedoms, well, who, what third party comes in to arbitrate their disputes? Who is, who is watching the watchers? Who is managing the managers? Don't they live in a form of anarchy? This is an extremely important question because it really does raise the question, do we ever escape anarchy? And this does come up in the topic of international relations when you start to look into that. And the fact that there is an anarchy among nations is something that is known and talked about and studied at the academic level and, and in these treatises about international law. Because, of course, between nations, all we have is, well, we have these kinds of agreements and accords and treaties and things, but they're not worth the paper they're not written, that they are written on or sometimes not written on. And these types of things break down all the time. And this is the international world order that exists in any period of time and can be broken and often is. So, I mean, of course, the supreme war crime is the war of aggression, but the United States still continues to invade and occupy Iraq and Afghanistan and other places with impunity because they can. So this is the lawlessness between nations, the anarchy between nations, that of course then becomes the justification for a new world order. Well, we need a world government so that we don't live in this kind of anarchy. But the real question is, do we ever 
really get out of anarchy? Is there such a thing as living outside of anarchy? There is always anarchy for some in certain conditions at the very least. And this is an important point. It does go to the heart of our political reality in the situation we're living in. And it was recently, I, I, I have known about this, but it was recently re-brought to my attention by Corporate Report friend and previous guest and Corporate Report subscriber, Keith Knight of Don't Tread on Anyone, who recently had a video up, uh, a summary of a very important essay do We Ever Really Get Out of Anarchy by Alfred Kuzan of the New, York, New Mexico State University, who published that essay in the Journal of Libertarian Studies in 1979, and recently Keith Knight did an excellent four-minute video summary of that essay. Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone. Alfred G. Kuzman of New Mexico State University writes, Do we ever really get out of anarchy? He says that there's basically two types of anarchy, of which will always exist, either hierarchical or plural. We conclude that the real question libertarians must solve is not whether minimalism or anarchy, but which type of anarchy, market or political, hierarchical or plural is most conductive to the maximization of freedom. The idea of government as an agent external to society is analogous to the idea of God as an intervener in human affairs. The belief that, well, without God, we'd all be killing each other. Well, if there's not one religion imposed on everyone, if there's freedom of religion, there'd be absolute chaos. You'd believe in Muhammad, I'd believe in Abraham, someone else would believe in Jesus, and we'd be at eternal war with each other. When in reality, uh, freedom of religion is what stops wars, and a recognition of property rights and free trade. That societies may have some form of organization they call government is no reason to conclude that those governments are empirical manifestations of the idea of government. In other words, there is no third party to make and enforce judgments among individual members who make up the third party itself. That's an important point when you're dealing with the state's monopoly on violence. The state can coerce all of, you know, pretty much any of the citizenry, but can any organization try to coerce the state? I mean, what would happen if you or a group of friends tried forcing the government to fund something against your what? You'd be called a terrorist, of course, because of the status double standard. The rulers still remain in a state of anarchy vis-a-vis each other. They settle disputes among themselves without regard for a government, an entity outside themselves. In other words, America and China can trade billions of dollars annually, and they can trade with Switzerland and Israel and Canada. Well, surely we'd need a one-world government controlled by uh, the Pope, and uh, without that, uh, we'd constantly be at war with each other, when in reality, traders find it in their best interest to make voluntary exchanges. If they don't find it uh, worthy on the economies of scale to trade, then they'll stop. And the freedom of association puts people on their heels and uh, gets people to behave more morally than they otherwise would if they had some state-sanctioned authority where they couldn't really be punished by outside actors. Nobody external to the group writes and enforces rules governing the relations among them. In short, looking inside the government reveals that the rulers remain in a state of anarchy among themselves. In short, society is always in anarchy. A government only abolishes anarchy among what are called subjects or citizens, but among those who rule, anarchy prevails. All relations are legally triangular. 
in that all members of society are forced to accept the rule of government in their transactions. He says, note, that the more hierarchical the government, the more government is run on the assumption of an ultimate arbiter. In other words, the bigger the government, the more likely the atrocities, the more power, the more coercive power in one hand, the worse it is. So that applies to world government, country government, state government, local, and county. Anyone given the right to rule over others is morally unjustified, and it's still anarchy because Brazil and Uganda are not under a one-world government. Ooh, there's terrible anarchy. Quick, have the UN run in and save us all. Murray Rothbard pretty much summarizes this point. Once one concedes that a single world government is not necessary, then where does one logically stop at the permissibility of separate states? If Canada and the US can be separate nations without being denounced as in a state of impermissible anarchy, why may not the South secede from the United States? New York from the State of the Union, New York City from the state. Why not Manhattan secede? Each neighborhood, each block, each house, each person. Thank you for watching, Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone. Once again, that is a video summary of the essay, Do We Ever Really Get Out of Anarchy by Keith Knight of Don't Tread on Anyone. If you are not following Keith Knight in his work, what are you doing? Please do so. He is on Minds.com. He's on BitChute. I've heard tell he's even on YouTube, but uh, I will throw the links into his alternative media platform outlets so you can go and follow his work. And of course, I will put in the link to the original essay by Alfred Kuzan, Do We Ever Really Get Out of Anarchy?, which does raise this important point. And in the introduction of that essay, which I'll read here, obviously, please go and read the full essay for yourself to really appreciate what he's saying here. But the introduction reads, a major point of dispute among libertarian theorists and thinkers today, as always, revolves around the age-old adage of whether man can live in total anarchy or whether the minimal state is absolutely necessary for the maximization of freedom. Lost in this dispute is the question of whether man is capable of getting out of anarchy at all. Can we really abolish anarchy and set up a government in its place? Most people, regardless of their ideological preferences, simply assume that the abolition of anarchy is possible that they live under government and that anarchy would be nothing but chaos and violence. The purpose of this paper is to question this venerated assumption and to argue that the escape from anarchy is impossible, that we always live in anarchy, and that the real question is what kind of anarchy we live under, market anarchy or non-market political anarchy. Further, it is argued that political anarchies are of two types, hierarchical or plural. The more pluralist political anarchy is, the more it resembles market anarchy. The performance of hierarchical and plural anarchies is evaluated in terms of their ability to minimize the level of force in society. It is shown that plural anarchies are much less violent than hierarchical anarchies. So this, again, if you're not interested in political philosophy, a lot of this will probably be lost. But for those who are interested in political philosophy, this is a very fundamentally important concept, and it goes back to the, as he says, the age-old uh, questions of political philosophers, going back to the old Hobbes-Locke debate and others, um, talking about essentially the, the minimization of violence in society and how that can be accomplished by extending anarchy. In fact, not even extending anarchy, but allowing the natural state of market pluralist anarchy to exist, which can only be stamped out by force and violence in favor of 
the anarchy that benefits the very few, political anarchy that benefits the politically connected. The political elite, or parasites really, get to live in their version of anarchy and subject the rest of the human race to their version of authoritarianism. So uh, it, again, it's an exceptionally important point and really does pertain to so much of what we talk about here. Uh, I will also throw in the link to Revisiting Do We Ever Really Get Out of Anarchy, which Alfred Kuzan wrote in 2010 and was published in the Journal of Libertarian Studies again, in which he further elaborates on the concepts that he started uh, talking about back in 1979. And in the opening of that essay, he talks about the unavoidability of anarchy. And he says, the reasoning that led me to conclude that the escape from anarchy is illusory goes like this. At best, the establishment of even a duly constituted government like that of the United States does, do, does no more than to abolish natural anarchy. In their relations with one another, everyone in his private capacity, that is, engaging in those activities regulated by the civil and criminal law, including those making governmental decisions, have recourse to Locke's known and indifferent judge, one endowed with both the authority and the power to settle disputes and punish offenders according to promulgated laws. In other words, government acts as a third party, regulating what are otherwise thought to be private matters, from the most intimate, like marriage and family life, to the most public, such as buying and selling in the open-air market, poised to intervene ex-ante or ex-post, whenever people cannot settle their affairs peacefully by mutual consent. However, a moment's thought makes it clear that those who share in the exercise of political authority are themselves lacking in precisely that feature. Those engaged in the making, interpretation, adjudication, and enforcing of the laws have no one to appeal to who at once legislates, judges, and compels obedience on them. I, again, uh, please do go through and read the rest of his essay. And, of course, in the course of that essay, he does eventually start to uh, delineate something that he calls constitutional anarchy, which is essentially a separation of powers within the state. And, uh, and that separation of powers supposedly per, uh, maintains the maximum level of natural anarchy, according to Kuzan. Make of that argument what you will. I tend to disagree. But I think the fundamental point that he is making is quite apt. That, yes, there is anarchy at any given state of time. It's just a question whether it applies to the very few at the very top of the power pyramid or whether it applies broadly to humanity. And uh, I think I think it's self-evident which one is preferable. But once you read through uh, his essay, I think you get a better understanding of that. So, yes, S, thank you for the question. And ultimately, yes, they create rulers for others, but they live without rulers and it seems to work very well for them over a very long period of time, should be called malarchy, or cacistocracy, perhaps, rule by the worst, um, and rule for the worst, and rule, uh, rule by limiting the self-rule of others, uh, imposing upon the natural anarchy, the natural market pluralist anarchy that exists in nature, imposing this uh, state apparatus to basically squelch that freedom from others while retaining it for yourself, which of course means that all the benefits of that anarchy accrues to the very few. Uh, it's, it's again, this goes right to the heart of what it is that we are dealing with when we talk about the New World Order or whatever it is called. And uh, I think this is an extremely important thing that people should be interested in. If you are, well, as I say, please go to the show notes and follow up. Um, obviously, exploring more of Keith Knight's work, but uh, more to the point in, in this regard, reading through uh, Kuzan's essays and following out from there, because, of course, that did uh, generate a lot of commentary and back and forth in uh, the field of political science that I think 
still is relevant to today. So, S, thank you very much for bringing that up. As I say, it was very interesting, the timing on your question, because it came up just shortly after I had uh, viewed Keith Knight's video, and that prompted me to go, go back and reread the Kuzan essay and, and start thinking about this again. So, um, I, as always, I'm interested to hear other people's opinions on this. And that's going to do it for today. Uh, this has been another edition of Questions for Corbett. Looking forward to answering another of your questions next week. And... Looking forward, as always, to talking to you again in the very near future.